Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit CelebrationChurchLive.com. Well, today we're in the fourth part of a nine-week series, well, yeah, one of our longer series, where we're looking at this concept of thought bubbles. And with that, you know what a thought bubble is. You've seen them all your life. You've seen them in cartoons. You've seen them in comics. You've seen them all over the place. And here is the truth. Every thought bubble you've ever seen in your life had an author. Somebody wrote it. It was some little character's thought, but there was an author behind the thought. And a lot of times we can feel like thoughts are just something that happens, like West Texas weather. It just It's one way one minute, another way another minute. And so it was a little brisk yesterday, and today it's going to be 81 degrees or something like that. And so just wild and crazy. And sometimes our thoughts feel like that. And, but the thing is, is the scriptures have a lot to say about our thought life and how our thoughts function in our lives. And so we want to lean into what the scriptures have to say. Let's go ahead and let's go to our bulletin or notes, however it is you're going to track along. And we've led off with this idea that our choices matter. You know that, I know that, we all get it, that our choices matter. And how we think and what we think about, it guides our decision process. It guides the process. We have all had these moments where the things that we were anticipating, we were thinking about, all of a sudden made a difference in how we responded to some life event or something, okay? How many of us have have walked into an argument that was happening before we even entered the room? It's happened to me. I've done it. I've been the one. And so where all of a sudden things are playing out in my head and then finally the person arrives and they just step into an argument that's three quarters done. And of course I'm winning. And so it's my argument. And so, but, uh, but it's, you, you're just, it's just playing out. It's just whirling right there in our minds. And we have to be mindful about what's on our minds. And let's look at Philippians chapter four. We keep coming back. This is our launch scripture. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and Paul is writing to the believers in Philippi and says this in his closing. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is where our thoughts need to land. It says, think about such things. Means, that means to think about it on purpose, to put our minds into that space on purpose. And I love that it's full of whatevers. You and I tend to have a, an idea that, our, that if we're going to think the way God wants us to think, that it's going to be very narrow and very tight we don't tend to think about just big, wide pastures that, that do have boundaries, but that it's expansive and that we can explore and we can go into. That's what these whatever words mean. It means to just explore it, get into whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, get into there. It's like your kids saying, hey, I'm hungry, and you say, hey, you can have whatever is in the pantry, 
Okay? There is a limit, you know. It's not everything is in the pantry. But you have whatever is in that space. And, you know, and they can do something that, you know, kids never do. Husbands never do. Like move boxes and see what's back there. And like, like actually explore and see what maybe instead of just throwing the door open and just looking at it, you know. And, and so because... And with these whatevers, it's going to require some of that. It's going to require delving in. It's going to require some exploration. A lot of times we can, again, think that things are very limited. But um, last week or a couple weeks ago, we explored the idea that God has thoughts about you. Jeremiah 29, 11. So he says, I know the thoughts that I have about you. And they're good thoughts. They're good thoughts. Thoughts to give you hope and a, and a future. But guess what? Everything we see in this world, as far as the existence of our planet and solar system, it was thought up by God. He thought up mountains. He thought up oceans. He thought up weather. He thought up all of the systems. He thought up gravity. He thought up the solar system. He thought up all of these different things. And guess what? Our thoughts can begin to get into those kinds of spaces too, these creative spaces. We're made in the image of God. We're entitled to this. This is why, why Paul is just throwing out these big, wonderful words, whatever, whatever, whatever. We're going to step into those spaces. And that lets us get excited about discovering the real, genuine, God-honoring thoughts. We tend to be intimidated by it. We tend to pull away. We tend to think it's just going to cut everything off. But no, really, it's inviting us into this big, beautiful, amazing thought space. And today, we're going to be looking at whatever is right. And this is one of those words um, where we're very passionate about what we think is right. I mean, you see Facebook arguments about it all the time, and, and well, we, just, we just desperately want to be right. Nobody wants to purposefully be wrong, you know? They just go, you know what? I know this is a completely wrong way to build a house, but hey, I'm going to do it just because it's just gonna, let's just do this wrong. And so nobody wants to just be wrong. We all think we're right, and no elbow nudges or points or anything, but we all know some people who think they're right all the time. And so, and really, if you get honest about it, that's you. We tend to think we're right. We do. We tend to think we're right. We came to our opinions, our thoughts, the things we landed on for a reason. And then that we think that we're right, which is why exploring this idea of thinking whatever is right is very personal. It's very personal. It comes at you with your experiences, things that you hold value and hold dear. That's why having arguments about what is right is, is, can be so intense. It's because it comes down to this place of being really personal and and so what we need to start with, okay, people who aren't trying to follow Jesus and follow God, they're just going to do whatever they want to do. They're going to call right whatever they want to call right. They're going to end up with the results of that, okay? And so, but you and I, we're, we're here. We want to, to follow Jesus. We want to grow in that. 
And so we need to recognize that we all have right now, we're sitting on a catalog of things we call right. We're convinced are right. We're sitting on it. We've come to that conclusion for whatever reason. And for us to actually truly think right, we have to first acknowledge we might be wrong. That we might be wrong. And that is a very uncomfortable thought to sit with. You know what? This conclusion, these ideas, these things that I've based my life on and, I'm, and, I'm, and I defend so strongly, maybe, maybe I'm not actually looking at this the right way. I had an experience with this years and years ago, and um, I had the opportunity to get my uh, private pilot's license um, back in a long time ago, and so I had access to two free planes. All I had to do was pay for fuel, and I could utilize these, these aircraft, and so that was my opportunity to go ahead and, and get my pilot's license, and so uh, I did that, and it was just a life dream, and I just couldn't, just so loved it. It was just absolutely amazing. Now, this was in, like, end of the 1900s, and so, and into the turn of the millennium is when this happened. And so, in this particular day that I'm talking about was in the fall of 2001, okay? I know here, all of this time later, 22 years later, we're all very used to GPS and all that. And, and then now, even on the aviation side, you know, um, there's just the handheld GPS units that you can have and fly with. And, but back, whenever I was doing it, um, those were new. Those were super expensive. I was the guy in the free plane, so I was doing it the old school way. You know, I was doing it with paper sectionals, paper maps. So yes, legitimately, you had a piece of paper up in your plane, and you're looking at it and flying by that. I know that sounds incredibly unnerving, but that's exactly how it was done. And so, and you would chart out your your route. And so here in the fall of 2001, which of course we remember September 11, 2001. And so there, all aviation had been on lockdown for a little bit and, and then everything was still super fresh with, um, with just controls on every aircraft in the air. It was just super in control. And so there were some people that wanted to, needed to go down to Del Rio for the day. So I was going to fly them, some friends, and so just going to fly them there and drop them off down there and then be able to pick them up and at the end of the day and fly them back. Del Rio is pretty much just due south from here. And so I'm VFR pilot and I have to fly with visual. So man, I did it. I got the plane up in the air and I just did it the, the most easy way possible. I found Highway 277 and I just flew above it and I just... <laughs> Like driving on the road, just up in there, you know, just sitting there flying along and, and going down that, that route, just 100% cheating. And so it's actually a good way to do it. And, um, and so, and I have my sectional habit there and finally get down to where we're going to be. And I'm just glancing at the sectional and, of course, outside of Del Rio. I'm probably familiar with Lake Amstead or Amistad or however you want to say it. And so, and it's a nice big lake. And so I look at the, look at my map. I look at the, at where the airport is. It's 
I look at my map, it is sitting on the right side of the lake, okay? Uh, you know, that's, you know, a pilot should probably be using north, south, east, and west, but hey, I'm going down the highway in the air. I'm, it's on the right, okay? Sounded good to me. It looked like it seemed like a good space. So I'm going down, and it's on the right. So we approach, make contact with the tower. The tower calls back to me and says, Hey, 6-1 Lemur Victor, would you like vectors to the airport? And I let him know that we wanted to see the lake for a minute and just check out the lake. Okay, That was my first mistake. I should have at least asked for the heading and written it down. I, I should have just done that. When you're offered wisdom from somebody that knows more than you, you probably shouldn't say, no, I'm just looking around, you know? And so, but that's what I did. It's like, oh, no, don't bother me. He's not trying to sell me nothing. <laughs> we're just looking. <laughs> and so I really wanted to land. And so, but we're up there flying around. And of course, I'm just going south, which right through the middle of the lake is the U.S.-Mexican border, okay? And I'm in a little tiny Cessna plane, Flying kind of low, being a little cagey with the people on the tower. There's the Air Force Base there. 9-11 is fresh. Everybody's on high alert but Brandon Clark. And so, and I'm just like, yeah, we're checking out. So he, he calls back on the radio and says, 6-1 Lima Victor, do you like vectors to the airport? I was like, no, we're still looking at the lake. And probably like 30 seconds after he gently offered some direction, all of a sudden he starts barking at me, telling me to turn a heading. Now the heading I was ready for was in my thoughts was west, okay? That is because I'm headed there, it's on this side of the lake, I'm going to be headed west. So I was ready for something like a 2-7, okay? You know, you're going to head 2-7. And... I am sitting there, and he's just talking to me. And as soon as he gives me this direction, it is the direct opposite direction. And that just confuses me. So I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm not responding. I'm not getting on the mic. I'm ghosting this dude. And I'm just still flying straight for the border and just now ignoring him. And then he starts yelling at me in on the mic, just broadcasting it. 6-1 Lima Victor, turn 0-9 now. Turn it now. And I am just like, well, yes, sir. So I'm like, this is so stupid. And I just turn over. And I turn that direction. And there's the airport on the wrong side of the lake. Like they moved it. What happened? And it just was just, I'm just bewildered. And I was so confused. And I just go ahead, got into the pattern, got the plane on the ground, let everybody go. And I'm like, my, what went wrong? I mean, they were about to scramble jets. And I mean, they were going to, if I crossed that into Mexican airspace, it was not going to be cool. And, it, and so, but my problem was, my problem was is I had my map oriented the wrong way. I was holding it where I could read all the words on it which is north, and I needed to turn my map upside down, which was the direction I was actually flying. As soon as you turn the map upside down, guess where the airport is? It's on the left. It's on the left. I was sitting there. I had the right information. I had accurate information, but I had the wrong perspective, and I put myself and everybody who was with me in danger. I ignored the advice of someone who knew better because I was so convinced 
that I properly interpreted the right information that was in front of me. And so many different times, you and I find ourselves in having the wrong idea about something, not because we have bad information, but because we interpreted it through our own lens and our own perspective. And this is why you and I need to be open to the idea that we might be really wrong and headed in the wrong direction. We just might. And that starts, actually stepping into heaven right thought starts with you and I saying, God, show me where I'm not thinking right. God, show me. He'll be tender. He won't be barking at you like the guy on the radio. He'll guide you into all truth. Remember, we've already talked about that the, that the spirit of truth, that's one of the names of the Holy Spirit, will guide us into all truth, will talk to us about things that only our heart can hear because they're too hard for our ears. And praise God, God's given us the Holy Spirit to help us to shift places where we're just wrong. Maybe some right information just interpreted wrong. See, Matthew 23, 28 shows us into this space. It says, in the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside... You're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. This can be built together on the outside to look right. And, but really at its core, it's, it's not right at all. You know, we, we've all had the Easter Bunny experience, the little chocolate Easter Bunny experience. You know, you're about eight years old. You got the cool basket from grandma or one of your aunts and uncles. And, you know, and it has a little cellophane wrap all around it. And you see this giant bunny on the inside. And you're like, boom, jackpot. That's the biggest chunk of chocolate I've ever seen in my life. You unpack it, put it to the side. And then you're finally like, I'm going to eat this bunny. And then you're like, I'm going to eat the whole thing. And you go to peel the foil off of the bunny. As you're holding it, you know, something's a little wrong. This bunny weighs a little light. Maybe it's that whipped chocolate. Maybe it's it's got a lot of air in it or something. And so you peel off the wrapper and you have the chocolate bunny and then you bite its ears off. And you know you did. You bit the ears. We all do like a rabid wolf. We We just bite the ears off. And then that's when we discover the heartbreaking truth. That bunny is hollow. There's no chocolate inside that bunny. It was just a shell. It was just a shell that was just absolutely empty. And that's the place where the Holy Spirit doesn't want us. doesn't want us put, trying to put together some shell of what's right based on our own experiences, based on what we can put together and end up with an empty life. That is not. If we're going to think whatever is true, we have to be ready to let God's truth come in and redefine truth. See, what is right? The what is right question has been around forever. It's been debated forever. Jesus faced it. The disciples faced it. Folks, you and I face it all the time. And if we're going to begin to step into the answer of what is actually right, we're going to let Our minds begin to go into whatever is right. We've got to have a a launching point. We're going to step into that beautiful, amazing pasture. There's a door we're going to have to go through. And that is we're going to find the answer in what's right in God's eyes. 
what's right in God's eyes. There's so many opinions of what's right, but only what is genuinely right, what's going to actually care for everybody involved, be good for everybody involved, is going to be found in what God says is right. And so we're about to look at this place where we see these three encounters with religious people on dealing with this issue of being right. And here Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verse 17, he is, he is uh, approached by some religious leaders. And um, they ask him a question. They said, then tell us, what is your opinion? Before we get into the rest of this, let's just recognize this right now. Um, as soon as we go to God to know what God's opinion is, we've already decided we're probably not going to take what he has said seriously. Because we've relegated it to opinion. Here they're talking to the author of truth, wisdom embodied, and they're like, we're about to ask you, but we're already determining whatever comes out of your mouth is merely an opinion. It's merely an option among many different options. And it's real easy for us to kind of turn our nose up and wag our, wag our finger at these religious leaders. But folks, you and I can find ourselves going to the scriptures and sit there and have that same mentality. Instead of saying, I'm about to find out what is true, whether I like it or not, we can go and have this idea. It's this underrunning current in our mind is, well, this is just kind of this dusty old book's opinion. If I can find a few little nuggets to help me have a little cheerier life, put away some of the anxiety in my life, and I'll find those. But overall, it's just kind of a, got some of these opinions in here. This is the Bible's opinion on things, and maybe it's old and antiquated and misguided. And all of a sudden now, these people are asking a question of, of Jesus. And they're already, they're not going to listen to the answer because it's just merely his opinion. But then here it is. Tell us then your opinion. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? They're just upset about the fact that they're getting taxed. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, he knew they didn't really want to know what he had to say, that they weren't going to take what he had to say seriously. He, he knew they were trying to trap him. He said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, so give back what to, what to, give back to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. Here they are so fixated on this one question about taxation, already relegated Jesus, whatever Jesus said to his opinion, and he is dropping them one of the most amazing truths ever right in their lap. He says, whose image and inscription is on that coin? Well, it's Caesar's. Give it back to him. And he says, and give to God what is God's. What's the only thing in this world that has been stamped with God's image? 
It's not the planet. It's not the solar system. It's not atoms and at their molecular core. It's you and I. We were made in the image of God. Nothing else in all of creation was made in the image of God. He was sliding this amazing truth right, and they were so concerned with their own rightness, they missed one of the most amazing things presented to them ever. He said, you know what? You're so concerned with taxation. You know what? Just give it back to Caesar. It was his anyways. He's the one that made it. What you need to be focused on is giving back to God what's God's. You need to give yourself back to God. You need to be focused on returning to God. What is God's? Giving yourself back to him. And they just missed it. Just don't even see this amazing truth. That's the problem with being convinced of our own rightness is we don't see new truths when they show up in our face. We miss it. John chapter 8, verse 47 says, Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason that you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. And the Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying, Man, we are convinced of this. We're 100% right. Aren't we right in saying, You're a Samaritan and you're demon-possessed? Well, they're wrong and they're wrong. Okay? He was not a Samaritan. He was a Jew. And he was not demon-possessed. But they were convinced that they were right. So now they haven't just relegated him to some place of opinion. Now they've just said, you need to be ignored a hundred percent. And Jesus said, I am not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. So it wasn't Jesus alone that dealt with this issue of what is right. We see this with the early church when they're ministering and people are just revival is breaking out and, and people are coming to Christ and there's healings and miracles taking place and, and these same people who went after Jesus are now going after his followers. There's a pattern here. We can expect the pattern to continue. So here in Acts chapter 4, verse 18, it says, and they called them in. This is the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders calling in the disciples. They called them in again and they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, what is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. It is this place, when put in this place of tension, we come back to what is right in God's eyes. But that doesn't mean that things are always going to go smooth, that things are always going to be easy just because we've aligned ourselves with what God says is right. 1 Peter 3, 14 says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, wait a minute, I could be right and align myself with what's right and suffer? Yeah. Jesus did. The disciples did. The early church did. Over and over again. We see this. Why? Because there's a lot of people who are just as convinced of their own rightness. The people that killed Jesus and sent him to the cross were convinced of their own rightness. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. 
Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. So then how do we figure out that? We understand what's right in God's eyes. So maybe what's the first good thing to begin to embrace and explore this idea of what is right? Stepping into something that maybe isn't a standard, you know, churchy God thought. Um, Well, we have a clear beginning on what this looks like, and it's to think about ways to show God's love to people. Let's look at James chapter 2, verse 8. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, then you're doing right. Choosing what's right in God's eyes is going to be found in doing good by our neighbor and doing and operating in love with the people we connect with, okay? Like, okay, well, what does that look like in the real world, okay? Is that just being smiley and sweet all the time? No, sometimes it's in your strategic planning. It's in your decision-making. In fact, let's look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 shows how what this looks like. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, in those days when... The number of disciples was increasing. Man, that's awesome. We want to see that everywhere all the time. The Hellenistic Jews, these were people who were Greek but chose to become Jews, uh, among them complained. So, man, things could be, revival could be rocking and people still have complaints. Yes, apparently. So, Among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. These are the people who were born Jews. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And just some of the practical stuff. There's some people missing out on some meals. Okay, Now this was important. Care for widows is all through the scriptures. It's important. And we've got to, we, we have to take this seriously. And these ladies were not getting their food. That was a serious issue. And it was creating some significant internal tension. So verse 2, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Their mind is gone to, let's figure out. What's right? And the first thing they've decided is it's not right for them to be burdened down with that and not do their core call of ministry. Not that it isn't valid. Not that waiting on tables isn't valid and and feeding these ladies. No, it is. That's why we're having the discussion. But they needed to stay on their core calling and their core teaching. So, brothers and sisters, in verse 3, Choose seven men from among you. This was a big enough task. It needed a team of seven guys, okay? Who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Is there any point of ministry that doesn't require the Holy Spirit? No. Even properly caring for and handing out food. You can, you, you've had it before. You've had oh, somebody who handed you something and they were happy to do it and wanted to see you blessed. And you've had somebody hand you something you needed, and you could tell it was the last thing in the world they ever wanted to do. You've seen it. So you you want, you need the Spirit at work. And then 
we see here, it says, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So here we are in a real practical thing. They're tr trying to figure out what's right and they realize there's layers. There are pieces to this because there's multiple people involved. So we see this. So who first gets to make sure that things are in right order, that the decision is right? Well, of course, it's the apostles. So they can stay on the ministry of prayer and the word. But then who else benefits? Well, the ladies who are missing the meals, the widows. It gets fixed. It's important. So the, the guys could have stopped. They could have said, you know what? It's not good. It's not right for us to have to be bothered with this. Figure it out. We're getting ourselves to prayer and the word. That would be a wrong decision. It was the right role for them, the wrong decision for everyone. So they paused and they raised somebody, some people up. So guess what? So the, the apostles are doing what's right for them. The, the uh, widows are getting to eat. These people get raised up into ministry, the seven. That's where the deacon ministry is born, right here. So they get to be taken care of. Who else gets taken care of? The people that they're praying for and they're teaching. So all of the other disciples, the, everybody that they're responsible for gets taken care of. You know who else benefited from this? You and I. You and I. Guess what? The one talking, Peter, um, because he's not busy waiting on tables, he, he wrote a couple of letters. You find them in your scriptures. He was able to give himself to the word and prayer and to the ministry he was called to. And you and I have it sealed up and, and we're able to learn from it all of this time later. This, this, this one little practical decision. Hey, somebody's being overlooked and bread being handed out. We see this layers of decision making so that it was a win for everybody. Guess what? What God says is right is good for everyone involved. We cannot say just what's good for me and stop there. We have to press into whatever is right. And it's going to go deeper than just you. What if we did carry this idea? What if we, our decisions were like, well, what, not whatever is right for me, but whatever is right for the family. Guess what, mom? It's not right for you to simply put what's right for the family over self-care. It's not right. Mom, you're going to burn out. Mom, you're going to run out of steam. Mom, you're going to find a place where you are going to resent some of these things you started lovingly doing for your family. Dad, you can't just plow away a work just because it's good for the family and you're not stepping out into the place where God has called you to. God's real right is going to be good for everyone involved. It was good for the apostles. They, they said, what's good for us? That is a fair question. What's right for us? It's a fair question, but it's, it's selfish if it stops there. That's when it becomes selfish. That's where right becomes selfish and now becomes wrong. But if we will layer it out, how does this right spill down into other people's lives? Now it becomes community transformative community of the family, community of the church, community of our nation. It begins to shift everything. My goodness, I need to hush. I'm wrapping this up. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Paul writes, 
says that I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. We want to choose what's beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. We want to choose what's constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And we wrap this up with Philippians chapter 1. Because so, so many times we can get frustrated in caring about the good of others because sometimes they don't always respond in what's good for us. And we remember that God's at work. And he's faithful to complete his work. It'll give us the energy to move on. Paul writes this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I, pr I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, having com being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, whether I am in chains or, def or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. He's like, you know what? Even if you don't respond right back towards me, I'm confident God is still at work, which lets me daily choose right. I can choose right because I know it's right to believe God's still at work. Even when you respond wrong, God's at work. And me walking in what is right opens the doors for God to bring right into your life. That's what makes the difference. Our bottom line today is love leads in the right direction. That's where love leads. That's how we get there, is letting the Holy Spirit guide us with the love of God. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.